I don't know if you, if you were listening carefully to that, uh, to that reading, Psalm 67. Maybe it's a psalm that's particularly familiar to some of us. But when I read through that, I, I am challenged by the, the joy in the heart of the psalmist. You know, he speaks of God being gracious to us, God blessing us, his face shining upon us, um, being glad and joyful and everyone singing and, and worshiping God. And, you know, when I read that, I can't help but kind of ask, is that my experience of being a Christian? You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, I don't know many, many of you really here, but sometimes we can perhaps come to church and, you know, we're expected to sing and, and, and be joyful and, you know, people ask how we're doing and we say, well, we're doing fine. And, and we're, we're joyful and we're good, happy Christians on a, on a Sunday morning most, most of the time. Um, but, you know, if I'm honest, I read this and I'm, and I'm challenged. You know, we read about the fullness of life and, and joy and blessing and, you know, found in the church. And... I guess my question to myself and to you this morning, is that your experience? Are you excited and full of joy about being in the church? Or is it just something that we do uh, on a Sunday morning? I can remember growing up just along the south coast in Christchurch, in the area of Christchurch in Dorset. And I went to a, a fairly traditional conservative church my parents I really thank God for the way they brought me up as a in a Christian home and it was interesting because I never really enjoyed going to church I can remember once hearing someone uh, speak from John chapter 10 verse 10 where Jesus said uh, you will experience life and life to the full and I can remember as a young person thinking, well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I believe in all the stuff that I've learned at Sunday school. But the fullness of life being experienced in the church by Christians, that wasn't really my experience as a young person. In fact, I would look at my friends who didn't go to church and think, well, they're kind of having more fun than me. <laughs> they, they seem to have more of the fullness of life uh, than I have. I have to go along to church on a Sunday morning, and my friends are going out playing football. And that seems to be more fun for me. Um, and I can remember being taken to church by my parents, and I'd kind of slip down in the back of the car so my friends wouldn't see me if they happened to be walking along the street. And I, there was that sense of embarrassment. There was a sense of, I don't really want to be going to church, but I kind of have to because my parents were taking me. And so I was challenged when I'd hear, oh, it's so wonderful to be a Christian and everyone smiling and singing these songs. And it wasn't really my personal experience, knowing this blessing and this joy that we read about in the scriptures. And I can remember when I went off to university at the age of 18, thinking, well, now I can live my own life. Now I can do what I want. You know, no one's going to make me go to church. No one's going to make me be a Christian. I, I, can, I can really start to experience the fullness of life now. And I went off to college. And as I started to meet people there, I, I, I went along to the Christian fellowship that was, that was taking place at, in London University. And I started to see that there was a difference in some of these young people. 
they had something that I didn't have, this, this joy <laughs> that, I've, that I'm speaking about this morning that I read in the Psalms. There seemed to be a, a realness, is that a word? A reality in the relationship that they had with God. Their, their Christianity wasn't just a, a dry religion, wasn't just going along to church on a Sunday, which was my experience, but there was something real they really seemed to know God. They really seemed to speak with him. They, they really seemed to experience this, this blessing, this, this fullness of life. They seemed excited about being a Christian. And that really challenged me. Because I didn't know the same God that they seemed to know. I didn't speak to the same God that they seemed to speak to. And I started to realize over a period of time that I didn't actually have a relationship with God. I knew about him, but I didn't really know him personally. And for me, as I was challenged to start reading the Bible on a regular basis, that first year at college was a year that really God changed my life and transformed my life. I can remember before then, my brother, who had been to one of these Billy Graham meetings, had come to me and said, Matthew, you need to repent for your sins. And I can remember saying honestly, well, I don't really think I need to repent for my sins because I'm a pretty good person. I, I go to church and, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian person. I mean, I'm a normal sort of guy. But it was when I started at college really reading the Bible that it was as if God was, God was holding up a mirror in front of my life. I was learning about him, but I was also learning about myself. And I was realizing there were things in my life that were not pleasing and honoring to him. There were things in my life that he wanted to change. And so during that first year, I, in a sense, I suppose, opened my, my heart up to the Lord and said, Lord, I do need you. I can't live without you. I, I repent. I, I ask for forgiveness for some of these things that I know are not honoring you. Lord, if you're really there, if you really love me, then please transform me, change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. And I can remember meeting a, a young lady in the church, uh, in the fellowship at the Christian Union, and I was really attracted to her. I wanted her to be my, my girlfriend. But the thing was, she was talking about being a missionary. She wanted to go off and after college to go and be a missionary somewhere in some, some place that I'd never heard of. And I can remember thinking, well, how am I going to impress this, this young lady? Because I really want her to be my girlfriend. And I thought, if I go on a mission trip, then she is going to be really, really, you know, impressed. And she's going to want to be my girlfriend. And so that's what I did. In the summer of 1992, after I'd kind of come to a personal faith in the Lord, I thought, I'm going to go off to Eastern Europe with this mission called OM. I'll go for a couple of weeks, have a good adventure, come back, and this girl's going to want to be my girlfriend, and it's all going to go well. But the thing was, I didn't know that when I went off uh, to the country of Estonia, just after the Soviet Union had, had fallen down, I didn't realize what God was going to do in my heart. I thought I'd go and hand out some tracts and, and it would be wonderful. But I went and I started to be being a part of this team and, and sharing the gospel with people. And God really started to speak to me and say, Matthew, look at the people. They need my word. They need the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he spoke about that, he also spoke to me and said, Matthew, you can do something. You can do something, but I don't have any experience. I don't, what do I know? 
And it was as if God was saying, Matthew, I, I, I want to use you to make a difference. What are you going to do with your life? So I finished university. This girl was very impressed, and she agreed to be my girlfriend. We went on to get married, and <laughs> we have a wonderful family. I'm pleased to say it was the same girl. Um, <laughs> she's not here now, but um, uh, she's, she's in Moldova looking after the kids. But, you know, I went and decided then after college to join OHAM. I thought, you know, now I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to go and do something good for God. Um, my parents gave me a big black Bible. It was probably, it was, yeah, it was the NIV study Bible, about this size. And I thought I was really holy and spiritual. And I'm going to go off and preach the gospel. And I, I can remember going and joining the, the OM team. And I was uh, asked to just build some walls for the first six months. And I was sawing wood and trying to, trying to do these practical things. And we started doing occasional outreaches into the Ukraine. Um, and I got involved slowly, understanding what it means to be a missionary. And I was given a responsibility of, of helping to distribute Christian books in, in the country of Romania. And I can remember on one of the first trips, my first trip to Romania, one of the first into Eastern Europe, uh, there was three of us going, and I was given the responsibility for the money. I had to change money and buy the food and, and just look after things like that. So we left Austria, where we were based, and we drove through Hungary. And as we drove through Hungary, I had to change money buy some bread, buy some cheese for sandwiches that, that evening. And, and we did that. It was a Sunday evening. And then we entered Romania quite late. And we started to go up through the mountains in Romania. And we were looking for a place to, to stop for the night. Now, the problem was that not knowing Hungary, I don't know if we have any Hungarians here, but I'd bought some bread in Hungary. And as we tasted it, it was bread that was full of pepper. And I couldn't eat this bread. It was really, it might be a delicacy there, but it was really not very nice for me. And so all we had to eat that night was some cheese and this pepper bread. And I just could not stomach this bread. And I can remember as we were driving through the mountains looking for a place to stop that night. We were going to have to be sleeping in the van. It was an October evening, a little bit of snow up in, in, in the air, up in the mountains. And we had sleeping bags, but it was going to be cold. It was going to be uncomfortable. I hadn't eaten and I started to just feel a little bit sorry for myself. You know, it's a little thing. One night without eating very well and sleeping on some boxes in the back of the van. But I started to feel and question, what is this missionary life? You know, I, I, maybe I'll just finish this year and this will be a good experience. And then I'll go back and be a normal person and live a normal life. Um, this, this really isn't for me. And I started to feel really quite sorry for myself and, and quite frustrated you know, sometimes it's the small things that kind of really get to us. A little thing like bread. I bought the wrong bread and I couldn't eat it. The others were eating it. It was fine for them. But I, I just could not eat this bread. And I was getting frustrated. I was getting angry. We were going to have to sleep there for the night somewhere up in the mountains. And we drove around a bend looking for a place to stop. And a man jumped out next to the road and he signaled that he needed a pump for his car. And we had a pump in our car, so we thought, well, we'll stop. We helped him, and I helped him pump up the wheel of his little van. Uh, and then I gave him a Gospel of John, and I tried to say something in Romanian, like, God bless you, please read this. It probably was all wrong. Um, and then I walked away. And I was walking back to my van, and this man ran after me and, and, and grabbed my arm and kind of pulled me back towards his van. Now, I'd heard, I'd heard stories of what happens in Romania. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And he took me back to his van, and he opened the back doors... 
And it was a little baker's van filled with wooden shelves, filled with fresh uh, country bread that they'd just made, and they were delivering the next morning. And this was very late on the Sunday evening. We hadn't been able to buy any bread there in Romania. And he took this huge loaf of two hands, and he gave it to me, obviously thanking me for helping with the pump. And I took the bread, and I walked back to the van where, where my colleagues were. And they said, where, where did you get the bread from? You know, you were just complaining about bread. And, and you know, I said, well, I think God gave it to us. <laughs> and I can remember that evening, we, we stopped the van, and we had this bread that was still warm and cheese. And, you know, it was the most delicious bread that I've ever tasted. And... When I, that evening, went to sleep on these boxes of books in the back of the van, and it was uncomfortable, and I was a bit cold, but my stomach was full of this bread. And it was as if God spoke to me and said, Matthew, I care for you. I I love you. (laughs) And I can provide for you and all of your needs. You don't need to worry and you don't need to get upset and frustrated about these little things. I can take care of all of your needs. And that was 19 years ago. And I often have had to remind myself of that. Uh, We've not seen miraculous bread falling from heaven every day (laughs) in these 19 years. But we have constantly, time and again, seen God blessing and leading and guiding us, providing for our needs in ministry and and as a family. And now, as I read Psalm 67, and I read, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, I think I can testify and say, yes, I see God blessing us. I'm starting to understand what it really means to experience God's face shining upon us upon our family, upon our ministry. And perhaps a question for all of us this morning is, do you experience God's face shining upon you? Do you experience and understand and and see God working in you? Is your Christianity a dry religion where you go to church on a Sunday? Or are you truly experiencing the reality of life with God in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, every moment of every day? Do we really understand what it means when we read that God wants to be gracious to us, bless us, and shine his face upon us? We can experience this joy and this blessing that we read about in Psalm 67. But what challenges me is also as I read the first verse here, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You know, I think that sounds good, doesn't it? Isn't that the sort of prayer that we, that we pray as Christians? God, would you bless me? God, would you, would you help me? Lord, you see a problem with health in my family. Please, would you bring healing in this situation? Lord, would you provide for me? Lord, would you help me? Lord, you see I'm driving and I'm, I'm just looking for a parking space. Please, Lord, just give us a good parking space just near the shop where I need to pop in for five minutes. Oh, Lord, I'm just looking on the bargain rail in Tesco's. Just let there be something my size and a good price reduced. And Oh, Lord, it's, 
you know, I've got the new shoes on and oh, please, please, well, it may not rain today because I don't want to mess up my shoes. We, we talk to God, we pray to him, we ask him, Lord, help me, bless me, provide for me. Because I'm at the center of the universe, aren't I? I'm the most important. Lord, would you uh, do these things for me because, Lord, you exist for me and to bless me and to provide for my needs. I wonder if sometimes that's the extent of our understanding as Christians. Sometimes that's the extent, extent of our Christianity, this sort of self-centered view that we are at the center and God just exists for us to bless, to work in us. And I'm challenged when I read this psalm because I believe the psalmist is saying, Lord, would you bless me? But he's actually saying, Lord, would you bless us? There's that corporate aspect of prayer. The importance of not just praying for ourselves, but praying for our family, praying for our family of believers, the church, praying for others, our friends, our neighbors. But there's also this international aspect of this prayer. If you look, he says, Lord, would you bless us? Would your face shine upon us? But then he also repeats over and over again throughout the prayer, speaking of all the nations, all the peoples. It's repeated time and again, all the peoples, all the nations, may they all praise you. It's incredible, two or three times in each verse, he uses these words, all peoples, all tribes, all communities, even... The Moldovans and the English and the, we've got some Scottish. Have we got other people groups represented here? Um, are there other people groups other than English and Scottish? And Romanian. Romanian. Ah, other, other people groups that we have represented here? I don't know. And it, it depends what definition you use as, a, as an ethno-linguistic people group. But it's said to be 12,613,000 different ethno-linguistic people groups in the world. And as we think of those groups and as we think of the church that exists in our world, only about 60% of the people groups have an indigenous church amongst them. There's 40% of the people living on our planet who do not have a church in their community who don't have the word of God in their language, who don't have the opportunity of hearing about Jesus. In fact, many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. And yet we read the psalmist's prayer and God's heart is for all peoples, all tribes, all communities, everyone to praise God and to live in relationship with him. And yet 40% of our planet have never heard. And when Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. then he says, but there's a problem in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on one they've not believed in? And how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear if no one preaches? And how can someone preach if they're not sent? And it's very logical when we think and, and listen to Paul's progression of thought, there's a problem because simply there are people who have never heard the gospel and the harvest is plentiful, but... <laughs> the workers are few. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the works are few. That was the reality back then when Paul wrote his letters. And that's the reality still 2,000 years later. And ever since we've been in Moldova for these last 18 or so years, our vision, our heart has very much been to help the Moldovan church reach out within their communities, within the country of Moldova, but also to help the Moldovan church have a, have a vision for the world. And we're really excited. I mentioned just when we were showing the video clip, we're really excited to have seen and continue to see Moldovan Christians who are, who are being equipped and mobilized and sent out, not just within the country, but we have Moldovans serving in Central Asian countries like Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and Central, uh, Central Russia, Azerbaijan, North Africa, Egypt, the Middle East, uh, Albania. Moldovans from a small little country that can't play football so well, going out to the ends of the earth, recognizing the needs in our country in Moldova, but also with our eyes open and recognizing the needs in the world. And again, we come back to Psalm 67. And we see the psalmist's heart. He prays, verse 1, Lord, would you be gracious to us, bless us, would you work in our lives, may your face shine upon us. But the thing that I find really challenging, the prayer doesn't finish at verse 1. He doesn't say, Lord, bless me, help me, shine your face upon me, amen. He says, Lord, would you bless me, bless us so that we would be a blessing to other peoples. Lord, as you provide for us, as you work in us, as you bless us with this wonderful relationship of living with you, may we also be a blessing to the others. You know, I often ask the question, maybe, are you ready for a question? You ready for a question? Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world, yeah? Who is the light of the world? John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? You are the light of the world. Now what does that mean? Did he make a mistake? <laughs> did John record it wrongly? He says, I am the light of the world, but then he says to his friends, his closest friends, those who believe in him, follow him, who are his disciples, you are the light. Well, the reality that I see, Jesus is the light of the world, but how does he choose to shine his light? Through us. We're not the light, but we are called to reflect the light in the world. And when I think of my responsibility in Moldova, do I reflect the light of Jesus through the way that I speak, through the conversations I have, through the ministry that I'm involved in. And perhaps the same question can be for you wherever you are, whatever place and work God has placed you in, recognizing you are the light of Linfield or the village or town that you live in. What an incredible responsibility, but what an incredible blessing as God blesses us as we can live in this close, intimate relationship with him, we can be filled with all the goodness that God wants to pour into our hearts. He transforms us and changes us into the people he wants us to be. He pours his light into our hearts and lives, but he wants us to reflect that light to all those around us. That people would say, 
I see a difference in you. Tell me about this hope that you have. That people wouldn't just have to be invited or dragged along to church like I used to be dragged along to church. That people would have a desire to come where the word of God is being preached and where they can truly meet with the creator who loves them and wants to meet their needs and provide for them. So I think my time's just about finished. But what I see in this psalm is how wonderful it is, this reminder. It is wonderful to live in relationship with God, to know him, knowing that he wants to meet our needs. He loves us. He really cares for us. And he wants to meet us and work in our hearts and lives. I see in this psalm God's heart and passion for the whole world. He loves us, but he loves those who aren't in this building at this present time. And this desire for him to bless us, but also for us to learn what it means to be a blessing to other people. That's my prayer for myself, for my family. It's my prayer for all of us here this morning. That we would understand just how much God has blessed us. But we'd also understand the responsibility we have to share that blessing with all those around. May God bless you. And may he help you to be a blessing to others during this week. Amen.